and welcome back to Health Law Diagnosed, a MINT podcast dedicated to health law, health policy, and social issues in the healthcare industry. I'm Bridget Keller, your podcast host, and I'm really excited for our topic today, which has long been near and dear to my heart, medical legal partnerships. Medical legal partnerships are just that, an opportunity for healthcare providers and lawyers to address the social determinants of health for a particular patient. So for example, a provider can prescribe an inhaler to assist the patient with breathing. But if the patient is having difficulty breathing due to an environmental concern that's ignored by their landlord, for example, mold, a lawyer can help ensure that the landlord fulfills all legal obligations to his or her tenant, the patient. So in this example, the provider and lawyer work together to address the patient's medical need. Medical legal partnerships can also engage in advocacy efforts, working to enact policy changes that would impact the social determinants of health of an entire patient population. An example of this might be work to address homelessness at the policy level. So with this very brief introduction, allow me to introduce you to our guest today, Kerlan Flowers, Legal Director and Senior Attorney for the Hofstra Medical Legal Partnership at North Bell Health, and my colleague, Jeannie Krebs, a fellow MINS Health Law Associate. Kerlan, Jeannie, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Bridget. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. Would you please start by telling us a little about yourselves and the work you do with the Medical Legal Partnership? Sure. So I graduated Hofstra in 2007, and um, I had an opportunity to work in many different areas of law. But I had an opportunity to go back to Hofstra and join the Medical Legal Partnership. And then eventually I became the director and um, also a senior Gittenstein fellow where I get to work on many exciting health related cases. And I also have the opportunity to teach law and medicine together. Oh, that's so interesting. Thanks so much, Kerlan. Jeannie, how about you? So in addition to my position as an associate in Mince's Health Law Practice, I am also a senior fellow with the Gittenstein Institute for Health Law and Policy, but my involvement with the Medical Legal Partnership began while I was still a student at Hofstra Law School. I was among the first cohort of students working in the Medical Legal Partnership's clinics and in the Law and Medicine Together class that Kerland described. And now as a Mince attorney, I'm lucky enough to continue my work with the MLP and assist cases in my pro bono practice. Thank you both so much for that introduction. Kerlan, can you tell us a little about the Hofstra Medical Legal Partnership, how it began and how it's grown since its inception? Sure. The Hofstra Medical Legal Partnership, it really began um, in 2018. So it's fairly new compared to the other medical legal partnerships. However, it was brought to us from a doctor, Dr. Omalara Wimedimo. She practiced in Boston and really thought that it was a good idea to bring a medical legal partnership to Hofstra and Northwell. And so after a few months of development, they established a medical legal partnership between Hofstra and Northwell. So in 2018, we had about 28 cases, um, you know, just to get it off the ground, but it rapidly grew because the next year we had about 244 cases and we continue to grow Um with the cases that we received from Northwell and not just Northwell, the community at large, they've heard about the MLP and they've contacted me, um, like the town of Oyster Bay or the town of Freeport, they would call me and um, ask for assistance with some of their residents. So it has grown in a nice way and it's really getting off the ground since 2018. Oh, wow. That sounds so wonderful. Um, what what type of legal services can the medical legal partnership provide to its clients? 
So what we do is we'll provide, it's the I help framework. And so that's income, housing, employment, or education, legal status, and personal and family. So with income, we'll help out with like social security income or social security disability or SNAP benefits, or maybe even emergency assistance. Um, in housing, we we were helping a lot during COVID with the ERAP applications, the Emergency Rental Assistance Program. We try to help out with landlord and tenant relationships. And if there are evictions, we will represent the clients and go to court for them. For in employment, we, if someone is discriminated against and, um, you know, fired, we'll look into that and see if we can help them with an EEOC claim. Also with legal status, we're able to help adjust status to extend visas. And now we've collaborated with our clinics. We're also able to help with refugee, asylum, youth advocacy, like DACA applications and deportation defense. And under personal and family, we usually take guardianship cases. And now we also have established a new relationship with our children and family law clinic, and they are going to assist us with the guardianships. So we try to help with as many things as we can that helps improve a patient's health. That's incredible. And what a wide range of services you're able to provide. I'm sure you're, you're probably becoming an expert in all of these different areas too. That's really incredible. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> And the great thing to add to um, what Kerlan is saying, too, is that when you're a student in the clinic, you get introduced to so many different areas of law, and you also learn how to interact with clients and patients and really understand their case and endeavor to find the best solution for them, too. So we have our attorneys, but we also have they also have the students that are able to be there in the clinics or after the pandemic. They are virtually assisting on the cases as well. That's a great point, Jeannie. And it leads me to my next question. You know, how are patients identified as potential clients? Well, um, they're patient navigators. These are um, usually college students that are embedded into the clinics. And they would screen the patients before their medical exam on that same day to see if they screen positive for a legal health harming legal need. Um, health harming legal need. And so if they do, then they flag that patient and then they would send an email through our referral process that we have for the particular clinic. Lately, we've been moving towards training and having the doctors, the residents, social workers do some of those screenings. And we encourage them to just listen for trigger statements when they are um, talking to the patient to see if they are signaling a health harming legal need. So, you know, if they say, well, I didn't have anything to eat, then hopefully the doctor will pick up on that and send us a message and refer that client to us. Oh, yeah. Are you at the point yet where you're doing any training of medical residents yet to sort of, you know, add this to overall, you know, their, how they assess a patient? Yes. So at one point we put together a standard training that is embedded into their rounds and their rotation. So there's a course that we recorded so that they can understand why social determinants of health are important in their practice and how health harming legal needs can be remedied with attorneys. So yes, it is embedded within to their practice. I would love to, you know, really get into the medical school a little bit more because Hofstra has a medical school and really um, work with some more of the residents to show them how they can work with these clients slash patients to help improve their health by working with lawyers. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, do you ever find a situation, how do you navigate any potential conflicts of interest or what types of conflicts of interest might arise in a medical legal partnership case? 
Um, let's see, potential conflicts of interest. Well, sometimes we do. I'm, we had a case where a client was upset that he received a bill from the hospital. So that's a conflict of interest, but it's not, you know, rather than taking it on as a case, we just mediated it and we made a phone call and said, can you explain to us why he has this bill? And of course the hospital wrote it off immediately. So those are the only real conflicts of interest. And and when patients do mention trying to sue the hospital, we immediately tell them that's a conflict of interest because we are a partnership and we work with Northwell, so we cannot look into suing Northwell. Right. Yeah, that, that's a great example. So, you know, as we are rounding almost year three of the global health pandemic, how has the pandemic changed or influenced medical legal partnerships? Well, we really had to change how we worked. Because mm-hmm. before we were in the medical, we were in the medical facilities. We were in every clinic. We had an office. We sat there and we were able to connect with the patients on a, you know, a certain level. They would come in. We can make them feel comfortable. You know, when we're dealing with certain topics like immigration, the patients need to have some reassurance that you're on their side. The pandemic has changed that because now it's more like a phone call. Not everyone has Zoom or um, the video conference capabilities which we're working on getting that changed. But um, we have to learn how to, you know, I help the students and the attorneys learn how to gain rapport and the confidence of the patient slash client while you're on the telephone. You know, maybe it's not just getting down to business right away and um, trying to have a small talk with them and make them feel comfortable with you. So it's changed in that way. Also, in a positive way, we're able to get through a lot more cases before it was driving from one clinic to another, you know, sitting down face to face. Now, if we do things remotely, I'm able to call maybe five or six clients and get so much more work done in a day now that we're working remotely with the clients. Yeah. And to echo what Kerlan is saying, when I had worked with the medical legal partnership, I was housed in the clinic and we would often find that the patient or client would have an appointment, but would be unable to get transportation to the appointment, Didn't was not sure where to go because we had several locations. So in a way, the pandemic and switching to this more virtual model did allow for greater accessibility if the client had you know, the technological capability to do so. So it was a positive. Um, that was one silver lining of doing this is that we were able to bring our services more to the client rather than the client having to come back to the clinic. That's right. And I'd just like to add, we've partnered up with ProBono.net and they're providing us a platform where the patients and our clients, they can just take pictures of their documents from with their phone. So they don't even need a computer. They can get video conferencing capabilities through their phone. Um, and so that helps us definitely to beef up our virtual presence. And also if we have pro bono attorneys or students that need to access their files, they're able to just access that file and not necessarily needing to access all the database. So um, we've tried to come up with creative ways to make virtual work and make it easier for the clients. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, and it it dovetails with our discussion on our last podcast episode about telehealth and access to services and how even though um, everyone had to pivot when the pandemic started, now that we've found all of these new tools and uh, ways to connect either virtually or using technology, like you said, over the phone, we are able to reach so many more patients um, and so many more clients with our services now. So it's one you know, silver lining as the whole world shifted to how we operate. So that's it's great to hear. 
So why don't we talk about a case or two? Um, maybe, you know, if you guys could please talk a little bit about a rewarding case that you've worked on uh, since joining the Medical Legal Partnership. I think, I know I would love to hear about it and I know our listeners would too. Okay. Well, I, th- I thought of a few, but um, just generally, there's so many rewarding cases. All my cases are rewarding. Just getting off the phone with them and when they're thanking me for listening, for helping, even if I can't help in a legal way. Um, I just got off the phone with a mom and she's saying she's she didn't have enough money to pay her bills because she's helping her college students pay their rent and pay insurance. And I reassured her that her college students, you know, while they might appreciate her help, you know, she should teach them how to become like self-sufficient instead of not paying her rent for five months because she's paying their insurance. So, and she thanked me so much for that because she said she felt bad to tell them that they would have to pay their own bills while in college. Um, But aside from that, we had so many rewarding cases like extending visas for um, patients that came on vacation. And usually it's like for an organ transplant, usually for kidney transplants. And so we get to help them extend their visas and then to the point where they get to have critical aftercare that they require. So it's like we save lives by just, you know, helping them with that. I think of one case um, during the pandemic where we had a client who had his own medical problems and he was also the caretaker of his disabled brother. And they were on the verge of being evicted from a home that was for sale. And he said that it was causing him high anxiety. He had nowhere to go. He didn't know what to do. But through my conversations with him, I found out he was a veteran and I was able to, um, I love to look around for all services that are, you know, helpful to my my patients and my clients. Uh, you know, you get this patient client thing mixed up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we, fa- I found the supportive services for veteran families program, and I called them and I said, you know, I explained to them the situation, and they found housing for him. And so then I negotiated with the real estate agent that was managing the house and was trying to get it sold that if we give him a certain amount of money to help him move out, I think it was about $15,000, then he can be out in the next month. And that's what happened. So he was able to get $15,000 for him and his brother to move out. And um, the Veterans Family Services Program put him up in somewhere to live. I checked on him and he he was so happy and grateful that we were able to connect the services and get him the help he needed. That's fantastic. I'm so happy to hear about that. I think too, you touched on a really important point, Carland. Sometimes as lawyers, just, you know, letting your client know that you're worrying about their problem for them helps them worry about it a little bit less. Um, you take some of the pressure off and, you know, just ha- being there to listen and to help them navigate the systems, I think is so important. And when it's impacting someone's health, which, you know, uh, most legal problems do, right? You're always worrying about them. Yes. Um, I think it just makes such a big difference. It's so wonderful to hear about your experiences. Jeannie, do you have a particular case that um, you look back on and think of as, as a rewarding case? So interestingly, when you asked this question, I thought of my first ever case um, with the MLP when I was a student. And then I thought about the case that I'm working on currently. And my first case as a student, I had been going to the clinic, shadowing the professor for a couple of months and he turned to me and told me that today was my day to do the intake. And in recent visits to the clinic, most of our appointments resulted in us telling the client that we couldn't do anything to help them in their situation. And even as a student, for me, sometimes getting 
even though you're not telling the client that you can always help them, but giving them an answer and giving them clarity can be assuring too. And that was something that I remember learning as a student that was very important to understand. But the day that I happened to be taking the case, a young woman and her husband came into our office and she she spoke Spanish. So we actually had a translation service that we could use in the clinic where I would ask the question and the translator would translate to the client. And what we learned from the conversation was that this was a legal status case, was that this client had left her home country because there was severe violence against her family uh, from local gangs. So I had sort of, you know, been right into my first big case where we really sought to help this client and her family because it was clear that her family could not go back to her home country. So the professor and I at the time had worked on an application for her to gain legal status in the United States. And really what was most rewarding about that experience for me was seeing the clients as you were both talking about, know that somebody else cared about what was going on in their life, could empathize and with their situation and show compassion for it, and that somebody could provide them concrete steps forward. And my most recent case is rewarding for me for similar reasons as well. Um, I'm working with a client right now who has appealed, who has applied rather for social security benefits and is dealing with the health condition. And she is so knowledgeable about everything that's going on. And most of our conversations, she's sharing her knowledge with me, sharing her concerns. And it really having and being able to support her has been rewarding for me and just help her feel like that she may have a remedy. And that case is still ongoing. But I think the thread between the two of them, being able to help somebody and give them support and maybe have a light in the future for them is what I've enjoyed most about my work in the MLP. Oh, absolutely. It, it does sound like a very rewarding case that you're working on now. Just And just thinking about you know the impact that you're having on your clients' lives, um, it's just so important. And I think um, for any lawyers who are looking for pro bono opportunities or to get involved, like an, an MLP is a great way to truly connect with your clients and, and make a, a visible and measurable impact on their lives. So I do have one last question for you both. Um, and, and that is, it's a little bit philosophical, but I will pose it to you anyway. What are your hopes for the medical legal partnership in the future? Well, my hope is that firms like Mince Levin, they join as pro bono partners to help with this important work. It's really important that um, everyone get involved. You know, sometimes we have to do a little more for those who don't have as much. I hope that students begin to recognize the need to use their skills and their degree to help others so that when they do graduate and they're fully practicing attorneys, that they don't forget that just one case can make um, the world of difference in someone's life. And then on a larger scale, I hope that hospitals continue to fund and the need to provide complete care to their patients. So, you know, that's my hope. And um, hopefully it catches on. And, and so far, I, I you know, it has, but I hope it continues in a positive direction for MLPs. I agree with Kerlin 100%. I think that's, for me, what I hope for the medical legal partnership in the future. And I also hope that there, and I think, you know, with the pandemic, one thing that did come from it is 
a big cognizance of how public health, law, medicine, they're not distinct from each other, but they constantly influence each other and can shape each other too. And I think the Medical Legal Partnership is a great way to show how remedying one problem can lead to improvements in other areas of life. Um, I also hope that more firms like Mintz continue pro bono partnerships. I think about the MLP when it first started and how many cases we have been able to take on and how much it has grown. So to see it continue on that trajectory would be would be amazing. Yes. I, I couldn't agree with you both more. And Kralan and Jeannie, thank you both so much for your time today. It has been a wonderful conversation. And I know that our listeners have enjoyed learning about the important work the Hofstra Medical Legal Partnership is engaged in. So listeners, if you have any questions about this or previous episodes, please email us at healthlawdiagnosed at mints.com. And if you're interested in volunteer opportunities or questions about the Hofstra MLP, you can always contact Kerlan and um, you know email us there and we will get you her contact information. I'm Bridget Keller, and this was Health Law Diagnosed.